Hebrews chapter 3, and we'll begin in just a moment in verse 7. The writer of the book of Hebrews, as we have seen in the past, we have looked at uh, over these last several weeks, is one who is very, he is very in his instruction and very pointed in telling us who Christ is and what he has done. And that continues today. He talks to us in this passage about rest. And he talks to us about the in God, the rest that we have in Christ. Uh, this is not rest that we would think of it as taking an afternoon to sit around and do nothing and recuperate from the week that we have had, but rather a rest in the sense that it is the end of our work. And in ending our work, it is us becoming reliant. Reference in this passage to uh, the book of Genesis where God rests on the seventh day. It was the completion of His work. He had been creating for six, and on the seventh day He rested. And so, as we look at rest this morning, He is very clear that we should be careful not to miss this rest. If you would, I invite you to stand with me in reverence to God's Word as we begin in Hebrews chapter 3, beginning in verse 7, and I'm going to read verse 4. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your heart on the day of testimony, where your fathers put me to the test, and saw my work forty years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation, and said they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was He provoked for forty years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? So we see that, we, that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we have believed, for we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, my rest. 
works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who we must give an account. You may be seated. As we look at this passage, I would encourage you with this. These words are not easy to understand. They, quite honestly, are some of the deepest and most thought-through passages in the book of Hebrews. They're also difficult, I think, for us to grasp because it is not something that we think a lot about. Uh, This is the virtue of us for traveling together through a book of the Bible. We come to passages that are difficult and we would normally just glance over and we are forced to take a few minutes and think about them together. And this passage is extremely important for us because I think we live in a time when people are very fickle about their relationship with Christ. It has become very easy for people who who lose interest or become less passionate to simply walk away from the faith that they once said that they had. The great tragedy in all of this is that we as the church very often let these people off the hook. We just don't get that concerned when people walk away from the faith. As Baptists, we are very guilty of this sometimes because we hold to the belief that people cannot lose their salvation. I believe that's one of the great teachings of the Bible is that God has promised us that the life we have in Him, the hope that we have in Him can never be taken away. But I'm afraid that sometimes we let that become an excuse not to be too concerned about falling away from God. Most of us in this room would say at this very moment that we do not think that would ever be a problem for us. That we could not ever see a point in time when we would stop being active in the church, when we would... Um, cease to pray when we would stop having faith and trust in our Creator. But the reality is that there are a lot of people who this morning are sitting at home, content in what they were doing, and at some point they too believe that they would never fall away, that they would never struggle in their faith, 
and that they would never have a time of hardship. I reflect back on my own belief in Christ, and I think back to the time when I was nearing the end of high school. I was very active in my church. I had, was teaching on Wednesday nights to our youth group. I was working at a Bible camp. I was very dedicated to my faith when it came to the outward appearance of what I was doing. But inside, I was struggling mightily with my faith in Christ. And I had gotten to the point where I was going to continue on with what I was doing. I was going to continue teaching. I was going to continue uh, being friends with the people in church and going to church. But I had come to the point where I just simply did not believe it anymore. Now, no one around me would have thought that that would even have been possible. I was president of this. I was teaching at that. I was doing these things. But it had become a reality because Christianity to me and my belief in Christ had just become this routine thing that I did. It had just become these actions that I took, that I went to church on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night, that I was working in the evangelism class, that I was doing all of those things, and it had simply become a routine. Unfortunately... There are a lot of people who go through that and experience that instead of sticking with it, which for me was the best thing that could have happened because I decided I was going to keep going to church and putting on uh, the face that I had. God got a hold of my heart and changed my life in that. But for many, that's not what happens. And we as the church will just glaze over this. We don't get too concerned about it. As a pastor, I have done funerals, and my goal in a funeral of someone I do not know, or sometimes someone that I know too well, is to not lie. Marvin could attest to this. There are a lot of lies told at funerals. It's amazing how many people who were terrible human beings become great at their funeral. They might, have well, they might as well have been the president of the United States. They might as well have been some uh, great scientist who discovered the cure for cancer because they were a terrible human being in life, but they become great at their funeral. What always strikes me is when I go to a funeral and the pastor begins to talk about the person's faith. And their entire faith, everything that they can say about them is based on something they supposedly did when they were five or six years old. They lived as the worst human being for the rest of their life, but at five years old at VBS with a pastor who really could sell it, they came to the front, they got baptized, and everything's okay. I want to tell you that the passage that we're going to look at says otherwise. And it's a warning for us. It's a caution for us that we need to be aware of our relationship with Christ and not let it be something that falls away. He begins in the first verses of this passage by telling them not to fall away. He quotes here Psalm 95, 7 through 11, and Hebrews 3, 7 through 11. And he reminds the readers of the time when God's people were punished because they fell away. 
If you go back, and you'll read about this throughout the first, or throughout Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, but if you go to the book of Numbers, you'll find where there are spies sent into the land that God had promised his people. He delivered them out of captivity, he'd brought them out of slavery, and he'd brought them to the edge of this new land that he had promised them. And so they send in these 12 spies, and these spies are supposed to go and kind of get a feel for what it's going to be like to go into this land. Because the people that are there are not going to give it up easily. And so these spies go in, and they they come back, and they give this report. And 10 of these guys, they say, listen, we cannot do this. We cannot conquer this land. It's not possible. These guys are huge, they've got huge cities, they've got big walls, we cannot go in. But two guys, Joshua and Caleb, say, yeah, we can, we can do this. They say, we can do this, God has told us that we could do this, that we can conquer this land, that we can have what God has promised. Well, and as we read about here in verses 7 through 11, the people rebel. The people rebel, and they say, no, we're not going to do it. And God punishes them for that. Everyone who is over 20 years old dies wandering around there in the wilderness. They never get the opportunity to go in and experience what God had promised. They don't get to experience this rest that God had promised. Here was a people who had been in slavery. Here was a people who had been moved all around, and God had promised them, here is your place. This is what I have for you. This is my promise. And they don't listen. And he uses this example for us as a warning not to fall away. The people there were unbelieving. And because they were unbelieving, they are left to stay outside of the promised land. They end up dying. And they never get to see what God had promised them. And so he warns us, he warns us to do the same thing. Look with me, chapter 3, verse 12. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. This passage here is, honestly, it's hard to read. Because he's not talking here about people who are out there in the world, who, who, you know, are doing their own thing and have no concern. Look, he says, take care, brothers. He's talking about the people in the church. He's talking about the people who have gathered together to worship and to hear the message of God. He says, take care... That the evil heart that you're not supposed to have, the evil heart that you say has been put to death because you have a relationship with Christ, he says, take care that that's not in you. See, the interesting thing, if we go back to the thinking about the funeral and the guy who never cared anything about the church, never cared anything about his relationship with Christ, never cared anything about anybody, and he got baptized when he was five years old, and and that's all he's got. Listen, the problem is that he never had a new heart inside him. Because, see, the new heart that Christ gives us, this this change in who we are, it, it, it makes us do things differently. It doesn't mean that we're not going to sin. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have times when we, we 
fall and when we don't do what we're supposed to, but, but the people of God do not fall away. The, the people of God put their trust in Him. And so he says, take care, brothers, because he does not want us to fall away from the living God. But rather, verse 13, we should exhort one another every day, as long as it is called day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Instead of having this this heart that falls away, this is where it falls on us as believers in Christ to exhort one another. That's why I see this as a huge problem because we just let people go and we don't really care what happens and we don't really care about them and we don't really worry about them. You know, we see them and they, they're excited for the church, they're excited for Christ, they're, they're on fire because of what God has done for them and all of a sudden it begins to fade away. And we as the church are called to, to exhort one another, to, to have compassion on one another, to encourage one another so that we do not fall away. It's why the Bible pictures us as a family. If you get to the dinner table, it's kind of easy to see who's not there, right? I mean, even if you got as many kids as I do, it's, it's still pretty obvious when there's an empty chair. It's pretty obvious when someone's not doing their job. You know, we got a chore chart at our house, and the kids don't take it very seriously, and they, they pay the consequences for not taking it seriously. But, you know, it's pretty easy to go when a room's dirty and look at the chart and say, hey, you're not doing your job. Hey, why didn't you do this? Hey, why, why didn't you cover where you were supposed to? You know, as the church, we are to encourage one another with that. Because, as he says at the end of verse 13, he says, do this as long as it is called today. See, there's a time coming when that's not going to be available anymore. There's a time coming when we're not going to be able to encourage one another. We're not going to be able to push one another. There's, not, there's going to be that time when it's going to be all settled all done. And he says that we should be prepared for that. That we should take care of each other. That we should push each other. We're to help one another to see when we've fallen away. To see when we have sin in our life that is real. God calls us to turn from that. To repent from that. And if we don't, our hearts will become hardened. The more and more we do things, the more and more we disobey God, the easier it becomes. And listen, as a church, the more we let it go, the easier it becomes. The more we just let it slide, the easier it becomes. Because, you know, frankly, it's easy to stay out of each other's lives. It's easy not to worry about each other. It's easy not to care about each other. Listen, we all have busy lives. We all have a lot of things going on that take up our time. But he pictures us here sharing with each other and caring for each other. As a matter of fact, he says in verse 14, For we have come to share in Christ, all of us, If, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. That's that's a very important statement. 
Because what he says here is that if we do fall away, if we do decide to abandon this, if we do decide to give up on Christ and turn and go in our own direction, we never really had the confidence to start with. We never really had it to start with. We don't like to hear that. Because when we do hear that, it begins to affect all of us, right? Because we all know people that have done this. We all know people that got real excited about Jesus and they got real involved in everything and then they got burnt out. And so they got burnt out and they just fell away. God says that's a big deal. Christianity and belief in Christ is not a one-time decision at the front of a church. He says we hold on. We hold on to that confidence that we have. We hold on to that relationship we have. We hold on to that hope that we have in Christ. And he says in that we share in him. It's important that this, that we understand that this is not, again, this is not a message for those who do not know Christ. If you look in verses 16 through 19, he talks about this being the people that God had called out. This is the people that God has called out for himself. He says, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it the Egyptians that heard, the ones who had been keeping them as slaves? No. Was it the people in the land that they were going to go conquer? It's not them either. The people that rebelled were the people who God had called you know, you and I, we really can do a good job of pointing out the sins of all the people around us in the world, right? That's easy. I mean, frankly, a lot of people make it easy to point out their sin because they're not ashamed of their sin. They have no problem with their sin. They flaunt their sin. They show it freely. But he's talking here about God's people. He's talking here about the people who have claimed to follow him. The people who have claimed that they're going to be obedient. The people who have claimed that they're going to follow after him. The people who have made the claim that they belong to Christ. He says here, they are unable, verse 19, to enter because of unbelief. Think about that. All of those people... They were in Egypt as slaves. Moses comes. He is able through God to perform these miracles and send these plagues. And these plagues are terrible and awful. And so Pharaoh lets them go. So they all leave. This huge stream of people pouring out of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. It looks like it's over. As a matter of fact, they want to turn around and go back because it looks like they're going to die there. And Moses, through God, is able to part the Red Sea. They walk across on dry land. Pharaoh's armies are completely and utterly destroyed when the water falls in on them. They've seen all of that. They've seen countless miracles. And they get to the edge of of the promised land. After seeing all of that, after hearing everything that has happened, 
And each and every one of them die right there and never get to enter in. They had been through the whole journey. But the fact of the matter was they never had faith. They never had faith that it would happen. Every single time anything came up, they were ready to run. They were ready to lose. They didn't have the faith to get in. They didn't have the faith to get past. That's what he says, look in verse 1, chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. He says, perception matters here. Do not even look like you failed to reach it. Don't get to the point later in your life where you've abandoned everything for your faith and you die and some pastor has to get up and do your funeral and try to make it look like you got in. The best funerals for a pastor are the ones where you go and you get to tell about the person's faith and you get to tell about it from childhood and you get to tell about it when they were a young adult and you get to tell about it on their deathbed. That even then they had faith. He says, don't even let it look like you failed to reach it. Let no one have any question about your faith in Christ. Let them know that from the time God saved you until he took you home, you were devoted to him. Don't let it look otherwise. Don't let it look otherwise by being out of church. Don't let it look otherwise by living in sin. Don't let it look otherwise. Why? For, verse 2, good news came to us just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. They got a message of good news. They got a message that God loved them and wanted to deliver them out of their slavery. He wanted to deliver deliver them out of bondage and deliver them into His rest in His promised land. But they didn't have the faith to get there. They didn't have the faith to make it happen. They didn't have the faith to get to where God had made for them, and was leading them to go. He tells us in verses 2 through 5 here, to have faith. God had worked. He had worked for six days. He had created everything that there was. But they didn't have the faith. They didn't have the faith to enter into his rest. See, his work was done according to verse 3 from the foundation of the world, and they refused him. See, if you think about it, if you go back to the people of God as they're standing there outside the promised land, they didn't seem to know what to do with themselves. You know, Moses at one point went up on the mountain to talk to God, and and they were down in the valley down there at the bottom, and they, they didn't know what had become of Moses. And so they decided that they were going to build themselves a God that they could worship. Now think about it with me, the foolishness of this. 
God has delivered them out of everything. He has parted the Red Sea. None of them had seen that before. None of us have seen that before. But Moses has gone a few too many days, and so they decide that they need to build themselves some type of false god to worship. God's whole purpose in delivering them was to give them rest from their bondage. He was delivering them out of the captivity to take them to a place of rest. He'd already demonstrated this to them and to us because after he had worked, he came, he came to the seventh day and he rested. And what he wants for us is to enter that rest, to be a part of that rest. So he tells them here that they need to have faith. Have enough faith to enter into rest. But not only to have faith, but look in verse 6. He, he wants them to begin having faith today. Oftentimes when this passage is read and people think about the rest of God, they think about something that is to come. I guess keeping with our funeral theme, if you go to many cemeteries, you'll see that he did not die on such and such a date, but he entered into rest. Well, from the biblical standpoint of what he's talking about here, entering into rest is not about the day that we die. Far from it. Entering into God's rest is about the day when he saves us from our work. When he saves us from our attempts to do it ourselves, When he saves us from our our failed attempts to get to him on our own. Yes, it is an eternal rest when we leave this life and go to the next, but the great news that God gives us is he wants to give us rest now, not just in the time to come. So he tells us to have faith today. Verse 6, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, talking about his rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterwards, and the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. God wants you today to enter into his rest. He wants you today to give up the things that you're doing in this world that do not work, that will only leave you tired and will never leave you fulfilled. And he wants you to begin relying on him. He wants you to give up trying to do it yourself and come into and live with and live under what he has already done. It's the interesting thing about the way we as human beings work. We are always trying to contrive new ways to get to God. We're always trying to think up of new methods of getting God close to us. And the fact of the matter is, He has already done everything that we need. He has already fulfilled everything that we could ever want. And what He does is call us to rely on Him. If you look in verse 8, he says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would have not spoken of another day later on. Joshua, after 40 years, if 
If you're not aware, go back to Moses and everybody there dies. They don't get to go into the promised land. Well, 40 years passes. And after 40 years, God allows them to go in. And they're led by a man named Joshua. Interestingly, he was one of the spies who had originally told them, hey, we can do this. So he lives because he was obedient, and now he gets to lead in God's people. And so they go in, and they inhabit this land. They, they get to have this land that God had promised. But what they didn't see then, and what we often fail to see now, is that God's promises were much bigger than just that piece of land. God wanted them to enter rest where he was their king, where they had the perfect kingdom, and he was the one who oversaw all of it. Where they trusted in him completely, he took care of their needs, and he took care of them no matter what happened. That they were his people, and he was their God above all, no others. Well, that didn't happen. And so that's why, as he says here, David, writing many years after this has happened, many years after the people of God had come into this land, David continues to write about a rest for the people. So he says in verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. He wants us to enter into his rest and cease working for ourselves. It is impossible for us to work our way into rest. I think that's the interesting thing about the way work happens now. There has been no time that I can remember in my life where I got so much work done that then I was free to rest. As a matter of fact, what I normally find, and I bet you are the same, is the more work I do, the more work I can find. The more work I try to get accomplished, the more work there is for me to do. And if I work enough that anybody recognizes my work, they're ready to give me more in recognition for the work I've already done. They want me to work harder because they've found out I can actually do something. That's why laziness is often a good way to get out of work because nobody wants a lazy person. But laziness and rest are two different things. And there is no rest at the end of our work. We can't do it. We can't work ourselves until we get there. We can't do enough work to get there. And what we see is that God, when he completed his work... He rested. And he says here that for those who have entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. We are no longer willing to do our own work if we've entered into God. I don't mean work like going out and getting a job. I'm talking about the works that we try to do of righteousness, the things that we try to do to impress God and get to God and impress others. Those things do not work, and they will cease. Because we can't work our way to God. We can't do enough to get to Him. We can't strive and fight and hope enough to get to Him. It will not work. We only can do this if we, if we rely on what He has done. Friends, the good thing for us is that there is a rest. There is a rest in Him. Though we have been disobedient, though we have not listened, though we have went our own way, God still offers us His rest. He still offers us His peace. He offers us a relationship with Him. 
But these last three verses tell us something very interesting about this rest. And it goes back to what I said in the beginning about the sad situation we're in with people who abandon God. He says in verse 11, Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Our goal and our focus must be on Christ. It must be on what he has done and what he has for us. Our focus on anything else will prove to be unfruitful. Our focus on making people happy, our focus on doing a lot of good things, they will never work. But he encourages us to strive to enter that rest. We do so by our faith. If the people of God had had the faith to listen to what God had said, they would have entered into the promised land. Things would have been radically different. If they'd had the faith to do what God had said, to to take it and grab it. And listen, it was right there in front of them. They were literally standing where they could see it. They had heard that it was a, a land flowing with milk and honey, a wonderful place. God had given them a great place to live, and it was just right there. But they wouldn't reach out and take it. They didn't have the faith to listen. And so he calls on us to strive to enter the rest because, as verse 12 says, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. You've probably all heard that. If you listen to the radio, I think they play it about 15 times a day. And as I was looking through this, I realized that they take it completely out of context every time they put it on, which is a little bit disappointing. Because look what it's doing. The word of God is living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword. But follow this. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints, and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The word of God is Jesus Christ. Go back and look at John 1.1. It's very clear. Not always in every context is he talking about Jesus, but here he's talking about Jesus, and he's talking about what Jesus has said and what God has said. He says, listen, there's no fooling God. He says, there's no fooling God. You know, we go back to me as a senior in high school, freshman in college, and I'm dealing with all of these thoughts, how I feel about God, and if I believe he's real, and, but I'm putting on a good front to everybody else. Well, guess what? That did not matter to God one bit. As a matter of fact, think about how disappointing that is to God. That I would try to keep up my appearance while at the same time not believing. God is not impressed by our works. He's not impressed by what we do. He's not impressed by how generous we are. He's not impressed about how faithful we are to any person or group of people. He is not impressed by that because he sees our heart. And he knows it. I mean, the sword here is piercing. It's cutting joints and marrow. It's, it's dividing things up. It knows our thoughts. It knows our intentions. And none of them are hidden from God. We can't fool him. It's not possible. As a matter of fact, verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, 
Not one. But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom they must or we must give account. See, these people, God's people, had followed Moses. They got to the edge of the promised land and they rebelled. But God had seen the rebellion in their heart from the beginning. They originally didn't want to follow Moses. Then they didn't have faith when they got to the Red Sea. Then they were worried they were going to die in the wilderness. They didn't have the faith. This was the final straw. It was the final consequence that they would die there in the wilderness. But they had not had faith in God. Friends, at each and every, for each and every one of us, at some point in our life, we are... We're putting on a face to get through the day. You know, we, 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 we struggle. We have doubt. We have fear. And we just kind of, we, we keep up appearances to get through. But we do that one day. And then it becomes a second and then it becomes a week. And then it becomes a month. And pretty long, we're far on into our life. And we've not been living by faith. It becomes easier and easier to quit, to give up, to walk away. The writer of Hebrews here cautions us against that. Take care, brothers, lest there be any in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. This is a warning for us. It's a warning of caution. And we need to listen because we are extremely guilty of just writing it off. We need to listen to this when it comes to our brothers and sisters because, because we, we look at a point in time in their life when they're very faithful and they've fallen away and we say, well, at least God's always saved them. We should be concerned about this because this is important for us. God wants us to have faith and follow Him. He has created this rest for us to be in. He has given us hope in His Son, Jesus Christ, and He gives hope in no other way. But He calls on us to be faithful. I wonder this morning if this message is one one that can take and change our heart. Because our appearances may be good, but God's Word cuts through that. It cuts through all the mess that we try to put up, and it looks into who we are. You know, God gives us this wonderful rest, and He bids us to enter it now. Today is the day of His salvation. There is no time to wait for it. It's so wonderful. Why would you want to put it off another day? But he knows our heart. And we will not fake him out. 
We may have the answer to every question. We may know every Sunday school book back and forth, but we will not impress God with that. We cannot, in any circumstance, in any way, fool him. So he says, take care. Take care that there is no evil in our heart. And this morning, I want to encourage you with that. God has given us hope, even though we often will put on a fake face. God has given us hope, even though we often will not have the faith that he has called us to have. He has given us hope. And nobody can take that away from us. But we must guard our hearts. Because it is easy to fall away. Sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, but it is easy to do. I don't care how long you've been in church. I don't care how long you have claimed the faith. It is easy to fall away. I've seen it happen to young and old alike. I've seen it happen to people who you would have never thought. It's easy to do. And we must guard our hearts. I want to encourage you with that this morning. Examine your heart. Know what's there. And when you find things you know shouldn't be there that you don't like, our God will take them away. He will heal our hearts when they're broken. But we must take care. We bow our heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the day you've given us. We thank you for your greatness, your mercy. God, your kindness toward us. God, our hearts, they can be so fickle. God, we can, we can have days where we strive for you seemingly each and every moment where we seek your face and we, we seek God, for your will for our life and that we would be doing, God, what you've called us to do. And then there are those days when we just struggle. When our hearts are hardened toward your word. God, I just pray that each person here would take care. That they would examine their heart. That they would seek God, they would seek you. They would seek you above all else. They would strive each and every day to, to hold fast to that confidence that they have. God, let us not have confidence in our theology or our doctrine or our beliefs. God, let us not have confidence in our church or our friends or our family. Let us have confidence in you and you alone. God, let us enter your rest and do away with our works God, let us no longer try to get there on our own, but God, let us rest in you. Lord, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for who you are. I'm grateful for all that you've done for us. And God, I ask these things this morning in Christ's name. Amen. If you'll stand with me, uh, we're going to sing. As we are singing, I want to invite you to respond. Um, not because you've examined your heart and you've found it to be a heart that is cold or a heart that is evil, but I call on you, I ask you to respond because the message here isn't 
isn't for people with cold hearts. He's calling each and every one of us to take care, to examine ourselves daily, to, to see what's there, to see what is in our heart and to respond, to open our hearts to him, to change our hearts when necessary, to have his heart for our friends, our neighbors, for the world around us, and to be vigilant. Because I want to promise you that it can happen. It is possible. But God has given us his precious promise that he is with us. And we should watch ourselves. We should take care. Would you respond as we sing?